0: again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Taylor Adams back on the show. He's got a brand new book. It's called Hairpin Bridge. And when you're hearing this, today is release day. It is out available everywhere, and you can grab it in uh, Kindle Edition or hold the paper in your hand or uh, audiobook, however you like to consume books. You can grab Hairpin Bridge. Today and I'll, I'll tell you what I've, I've had an art copy of this uh, for a little while and it is amazing. You're gonna love this book and uh, if you love No Exit and uh, a lot of us did a couple of years ago, this is a must have for your summer reading. Uh, welcome back to the show, Taylor.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so so Taylor, um, Hairpin Bridge is out today. Um, first off, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah um when when you published No Exit a couple of years ago um did you have any idea that the book would be received as well uh, as it was and you know kind of what what was that book launch uh, and you know the subsequent you know that time after that what was that like for you
1: I honestly, I mean, I was I was happy with No Exit as I was, you know, as I was hitting send and sending it to the publisher at the time and all of that. But I remember I did not have, like, super high expectations for No Exit. I remember thinking at the time, you know, hopefully I can kind of at least hit the level of, of you know, the first, you know, thriller that I did, which was Eyeshot. I, I remember thinking, like, okay, I hope I can just match Eyeshot and I'll just consider it a success there. And uh, so I was really unprepared for just kind of how how well it clicked. And uh, it was a really, really exciting, you know, just kind of with all those developments on the no exit front, it was just a really exciting few years. And really, I think gave me some, I think maybe some, some confidence to try. I mean, Hairpin Bridge is a, a similar book. It's a similar, you know, similar kind of story, but I try using a lot of different tools. And it's, it's kind of the first time I've tried using a couple Things such as um, you know, really multiple viewpoints, a nonlinear story, and even a little bit of a non, an unreliable narrator. Those, right. So those are all things that I, I would not have felt confident to do if you know <laughs> if, if no exit hadn't worked the way it did.
0: What you you mentioned your book I shot that uh, it came out uh, about eight eight years ago or so I think yeah so, I think seven or so. eight years ago
1: yeah um, so yeah.
0: Yeah. So I'm not sure if we talked about that book on the last time you're on the show, but let, let's just um, uh, what was you said that, um, you know, No Exit took a little bit of a different turn for you in the uh, in, you know, the, the types of stories that you were telling. What, what's the difference? Um, you know, obviously, the, the, the particulars of the story, but, you know, genre wise and, and that sort of thing. What's the difference in eyeshot and, and where you are going now as a writer?
1: Definitely. I mean, I shot was probably my first, I mean, I tried to write novels before in high school, um, but I shot was my first, you know, after college adult, you know, novel that I tried to write and uh, I got it published with a, a small press in the UK. And as far as, you know, stories go, like, I mean, it works. I'm very, I'm happy with it. Um, but I also, you know, looking back on it, I can see how I've grown. Um, and also just kind of like, it's a fun little story. Um, but you know the jump from i shot to no exit it's really about the the plotting cuz i i i shot is it's similar to like pretty much everything else i write where i mean i write really like situational stories that usually unfold in you know a few hours usually at a few locations and with a few characters and i shot is no different but the jump from i shot to no exit was me i think Trying to trying to plot more and trying to bring more out of the characters and bring more out of the situation than just the minute to minute survival aspects. Cause you know, no exit is much twistier and, and hairpin is, is like no exit, it's very twisty. Whereas right. Eye shot is more of kind of like a, a straight up, this is a problem, how do we deal with it? We're in the desert getting shot at by somebody, how do we survive? kind of, you know, thriller. So so I, I think I've I've moved from, you know, straight up action to more psychological suspense. Gotcha.
0: Um, Taylor, are you still working in the television industry as a day job?
1: Actually, uh, exciting news, exciting and scary news. Um, I quit my day job uh, in April. (laughs) So I am focusing 100% of my time on writing, which is amazing. And, you know, we'll find out how good of a motivator fear is. Uh, So far, (laughs) it's been a great motivator. Yes, But um, yeah, I've got eight hours a day to write now, which is just a blessing.
0: That that is. um, And I don't know if you really have been paying attention for the last year or so, but the the world has been a crazy place. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, for I've I've heard similar stories from a lot of people that, you know, kind of now is the time. If I'm ever going to do anything, you know, the world already sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Might as well take a leap. Um, You know, what's the what's the last year or, uh, you know, almost year and a half been like for you?
1: Oh, man. You know, um, like a lot of people, we transitioned to working from home, you know, pretty, pretty early into March, right, when things really started to get pretty intense with the pandemic. And uh, I think the big thing I learned there was, oh, my gosh, I never want to go back to working in an office, working all the way in Seattle because it's, you know, it's like a one hour commute. Um, And I mean, it's a train commute, so I can write while I while I'm on the train to work for an hour every day. but. Working from home just made the, the writing and day job balance so much easier to achieve. So, you know, going into this year, things are kind of coming back. Everybody around, you know, work is kind of projecting when we'll be working in the office again. And I was like, OK, that's my cue to duck out.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and working from home, it's a whole lot easier to to walk to the coffee pot and get a fresh cup of coffee. You, you can't do that on the train.
1: Oh, totally. And, uh, I discovered too, from working at home, you know, one of the, the blessings of my day job was they, they gave us uh, free coffee and, you know, working from home <laughs> for a year, I drink so much coffee. Like I, I did not realize how much money I must cost them.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's so funny. That's so funny. Um, Taylor, what, what was going on, uh, you know, during the, the shutdown and the pandemic and, and all that, and people were transitioning and, and, um, television that that we watched uh you know a lot of different shows were were having to to do things differently uh find new ways to tell a story where they could film it with with fewer people on set at, at a time uh, and and that sort of thing did uh did you learn anything during this process, or um, did you develop any new tools that that maybe you have carried over to to the other type of writing that that you're doing? And and uh, you know, has this time given you anything um, you know instead of just you know taking away?
1: <laughs> you know, I learned from from seeing kind of how the TV industry has has responded to this, and just seeing how a lot of the you know my coworkers you know, just kind of improvised with what they had, you know, with instead of filming in a studio, filming via Zoom. Like I, I learned a lot just from watching watching how adaptable people can be. And so it's been it's been really cool just seeing I mean obviously it's been an incredibly rough year for a multitude of reasons, but it has been very inspiring too, just to see how people have faced that challenge head on or just kind of adapted and adapted a I mean you know, filming a TV show without a physical audience. Right. For example, or not without a physical, not just without a physical audience, but in without being in a physical space, it all being Zoom. Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, with with Hairpin Bridge, um, do you, well, first off, um, you know, I, I love to ask people about the beginnings of things and, and where a project begins for them, because at, at one moment, in your mind, hairpin bridge does not exist in any form or fashion. And then either a, a character walks onto the stage of your mind or you start playing the, what if game, you know, what, what if a, a, a person goes missing and then what if we start finding out that they've had some interaction with law enforcement and then maybe it's not what it seems like it is. And, uh, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, characters start filling in that, what if, And in one form or another, Hairpin Bridge exists then in some fashion. And then, you know, over the the course of several months to a year, um, you know, you start bringing the story into shape. Uh, How did it begin for you?
1: I had I'd always really wanted to tell a story about somebody solving a family member's murder. I I just thought that was a really kind of interesting and emotionally charged, um, you know, just idea. And. Usually kind of like I I get a premise for a book, usually by just kind of mashing together a few ideas that I've always kind of had floating around in the back burner that I once I feel like I've got the right combination of ideas, then it's, you know, time to start outlining. So with this one, you know, it was the the family members murder. It was I thought twins were an interesting way to explore that. And then I also really wanted to, you know, my, my books up until now have been pretty linear and I wanted to try telling a story that was sort of dual point of view with one in the one in the present, one in the past, and kind of entwine those, and so just kind of mushing together all those ideas. That was, I think, the point where I started outlining and going, "Okay, I could." I always reach a critical mass with a with a book idea where I'm like, "Okay, I can, uh, I can spend the next year and a half writing this and not lose my mind. Like, I wouldn't <laughs> mind writing this."
0: Looking for a tool to help you visualize your story before the drafting begins? PlotPins is cloud-based and optimized for any device. But there's nothing to download. From the new writer who isn't sure how to tell their story to the veteran who can increase their productivity dramatically, we've had experienced writers lay out a detailed structure for several novels in a series in a matter of a few days. The app takes you through four steps of the process the concept or logline. Make sure you have a solid concept that you can keep coming back to throughout the process. The outline, 12 beats and 3 acts. Each has a description of what should be happening with examples. The board, 40 cards. We take the 12 beats and add sub-beats to those, breaking it down even further and being very specific about what should go into each. These also have examples and descriptions. Right. write, we take those 40 cards and turn them into a to-do list. For a 50,000-word book, it's about two cards per chapter, roughly. We have a beautiful editor built into the app. You can export your manuscript to a PDF anytime with the click of a button. Let Plot Pins help you visualize your writing project. Use code HANK10 to get 10% off Plot Pins. PlotPins.com authors. I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called Pubsite. Pubsite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. Pubsite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20 or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. Pubsite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. Pubsite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting, and we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors, authors, Find their home on the web. So um, you do have um, several different uh, uh, new forms of storytelling that you're using in this book, um, which, like you said before, that you, you haven't in the past. Um, the the dual timelines, the multiple narrators. D- did you feel like that uh, that? When you're writing your follow up book that you needed to up the ante or did you feel, you know, uh, confident enough that you could try new things? What what was it that kind of led you to to pursue new ways of storytelling?
1: Probably a little bit of both. You know, in the case of this book, it was it was because I, I felt that this was the most appropriate way to tell the story. You know, and, and my next book, I don't have I've only got two viewpoints. It's not going to be as as complex and crazy as Hairpin. So I, I definitely, you know, on one hand, it was definitely because I, I felt that was the best way to explore this premise. And then certainly on the other too, I, I, I wanted to, I didn't want to write something right after no exit that kind of felt like a, a copy of no exit because I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's scary to follow something that, that clicked well, because then I, it's like, okay, I have to learn the right lessons from it. And I can't just try to duplicate it because you know, that's, people can tell when you're just trying to duplicate yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um tell me about the characters that we made in this book. Um what uh what was it that intrigued you? I, I know that you said you wanted to tell a family story. Um but uh you know, what Lena and and Cambry? T- tell me about them.
1: Yeah, I thought I thought, you know, kind of again going back to the twin thing. I thought it would just be really an interesting way to explore past and present when you know, one one family member, one twin is already is already gone and can't speak for themselves. And so we've right. got the other one trying to pick up the pieces. And then, you know, twins are generally believed to be pretty close. So they're different in that they're they're not at all close. And so they have almost no relationship. And so, you know, Lena the heroine is you know, that hurts her in multiple ways. She's trying to solve the murder of, you know, a, a twin, a family member that she she barely even knew. So she's you know, it's not just about revenge or justice. It's also just about knowing whatever else she can know about her sister. Um, so that was that was kind of like the the fuel to it. I guess the emotional core of it is is just you know figuring out everything you can because obviously the person is gone. And I think that's also you know without giving away any spoilers, the uh, you know there's an element of an unreliable narrator in the mix as well. And I and that's a really I think intentional choice just to kind of reflect how, how, you know, the reality of loss, like we throughout much of the book, we have, we believe we've got two voices and toward the end, we kind of come to understand that really it's, it's just, it's one voice. Cause right. another person isn't here.
0: When, uh, when Gillian Flynn uh, published gone girl several years ago, you know, the, the unreliable narrator um, became really popular. And uh, I've read several books that that tried to pull that off and it just seemed very trite and very forced um hairpin bridge is not that It, it it's done very very well and and you know you you catch yourself at points uh wondering if uh if this narrator is reliable or not and i think that's the best way is when when you doubt yourself as a reader you know can can i trust what What's going on here? Can, can I not? And um, were there, you know, as you went through the writing, were there things that you would notice that, that, you know, like, okay, I I need to hone this better, or I need to add more ambiguity here. Um, Like as the writer who, who knows what the character's motivations are, how do you um, block that from the reader so that, so that I and am constantly guessing and and I'm not picking up on the clues then after the fact, I realize, oh, I, I should have seen that all along that That's a very tricky thing to pull off,
1: yeah. and I mean, it's I think uh, through a lot of the writing process, too, i was I was honestly just terrified because I'd never written an unreliable narrator before, and I mean, they're they're very. I mean, very easy to mess up. They can be very unsatisfying if not done correctly because you're basically, you're being a little bit dishonest with the reader for for effect. And it's like you sure. have to have really good reason to do that. And it has to come from a really, you know, a real emotional place. And uh, I think the big thing that I learned throughout writing it and then throughout rewriting it a few times was, you know, just to, to signpost everything. Like we know, you know, we know the sources of every line of, um you know of every of every voice in the story early on we just don't know that they're being deceptive until later on and i think that's a big difference because early drafts we we found out that they it was an authored account like about halfway through and that just that didn't land right because you know readers can kind of tell when okay i'm being jerked around a little bit
0: <laughs> um you you mentioned um that that you are an outliner um were there like, like, how does an outline for a book like this begin? Do you, do you start, uh, you know, asking yourself questions and then a- trying to answer those questions? And then does that, um, you know, kind of form a mind map sort of, how do you start kind of putting the threads together of a story like this?
1: for for this one you know it might be once you kind of start outlining it it might be a little simpler than it than it appears on the page because you know really the spine of the story is is Lena's encounter with that cop on that bridge and everything else you know all the other you know kind of time hopping and you know the blog and then the 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 past account which we find out was written in the future those all kind of exist to sort of to complement that that one single main storyline and just to feed in information that you know basically helps Helps that along. So, it actually it wasn't as complicated to outline as as I thought it might be. The uh, the challenging part was stitching all that together in a way that is coherent. Because one thing that I really wanted to try with this, with all these multiple voices, you know, that share characters, you know, on one timeline or in two timelines, you know, they're they're twins. They've got kind of the same antagonists. Um, so I wanted to, with all that cross cutting, kind of make make the story rhyme. A little bit, sure. and uh, basically just create like a sense of kind of unspoke, unbroken momentum, even as the the times and characters and points of view shift, and uh, that took took a lot of lot of finessing to get right because, I mean it's it's a lot of information and it's really easy for it to be incoherent if it's not delivered in just the right order and just the right tempo and you know it, it took a, it took a lot of, a lot of mistakes.
0: <laughs> um. Another really fascinating um, thing with this book is the compressed timeline. It it is a it is a definitive period of time uh, that this uh, book occupies, and you feel like um, like it, it's a tangible thing. Like you know that um, that this book is not going to stretch over weeks and months and and there's a there's a, a finite amount of time um how do you set that up and and did you know pretty early on that you know this is going to be within a compressed window of time
1: i think so i mean that tends to be just how i like to structure all of my stories and uh, i do need to you know i'd like to eventually kind of try other things but i'm i'm, I'm just a i'm a really big fan of a really kind of a compressed constrained thriller cuz i just i love the the natural pressure that that puts on the story and on the characters and kind of like what you said you know how it just when when the situation is the story like every little detail feels like it could become important at any at any moment and every little win and loss can can be a huge deal and and i just i love that feeling in a story yeah
0: when when you're writing your first draft uh, and and you you're going by your outline and you, and you know the structure that you need to follow and, and you get it laid out, um, how long do you give yourself before you go back through that manuscript and and start another pass to you know to look for glaring errors or you know um, things that just aren't working? Uh, do you give yourself any space from it before you start that?
1: You know maybe I should I I've just usually after I start a draft maybe I'll take the rest of the after I finish a draft I'll take the the rest of the day off and then I'll just like hit it hard the next morning. I don't know if you know maybe I should give myself a few days to just sort of decompress a little bit. What? Uh
0: you know Stephen King uh, says in in on writing to to put it in a desk drawer and then you know start another project and then come back to it later. I've never been able to do that and I don't know anybody else who can. Maybe he's a freak of nature, but um, <laughs> just knowing that it's sitting in that drawer, it's that it it's kind of overwhelming for me.
1: Yeah, and I find myself like I if it's not in front of me, I just stress myself out because all I can think about are the problems that I'm aware of and. If it's not in front of me, I can't solve those problems. I can just all I can do is just work myself up thinking about all the things that are wrong with it. But if it's in front of me, at least I can I can start fixing problems.
0: Right, right. So, um at what point do do you bring in uh other eyes to to look at the manuscript you know um some people you know will will have first readers that read that first draft some people are like no no one's going to read this and you know until i've gone over it three or four times um at what point do you, do you let other eyes come in
1: i am definitely in the in the latter category um i really and i think part of that too is just my first two drafts are always very skeletal like they're they're basically like sketches of the story like a lot of detail lots of lots of times you know the detail and like the, the kind of the the nuance that comes later because it's like first of all I have to make sure that I've got the you know the bones of the skeleton in the right place and that the you know the plotting all works and then you know then I can focus on on the fine details and so I think the result is you know where my books are usually about 60 000 to 70,000 words my first drafts are always like forty thousand words. Like they're always just emaciated, you know, little <laughs> spindly, barely readable things. So I, I definitely I take, I want to say like at least five or six drafts before I feel like okay, I've I've solved the problems that I know how to solve, and now I can start, you know, showing it to other people, and they can show me the problems that I can't see. Right.
0: The the, probably the most interesting um, dynamic of this book is the the twin sisters. Um, You know, there there's been lots of great thrillers that that have family relationships and there are interesting things that you can do within a family. And uh, especially if you're going to have an uh, maybe a partially unreliable narrator, you know, families really set that up great. But twins, um, that's a whole other level. what was it about the twin relationship um, that you found most intriguing?
1: That is a good question. Um, I think because twins are just naturally so close and you know and, and identical looking, I, I think it was a neat way to explore. You know, to first of all explore the opposite of that—a twin relationship where they're they're not close and they barely know each other, and they're and they're very radically different people—and then also to sort of have, you know, I just, I thought that was a really intriguing way to, to have somebody trying to solve somebody else's murder and have, have their final hours come into focus and, and have these parallel accounts, parallel storylines and have the, the subject, the main character of each storyline be almost the same person in, in some ways. Like, I, I thought that was just a really interesting way to explore that, that dual you know, dual timeline structure of a story of past and present
0: and and it definitely does. So like it it really ramps up the tension. and um, there there are things that you can do with twins that uh, it's, you know, uh, it, it's crazy. It almost feels like the same person.,
1: yes, um, yes but,
0: but you know it's not. And it really it it kind of introduces this 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 mind trick to the reader that um, that you as the writer don't have to do a lot of work on because our inherent, uh, kind of natural bias just makes us feel that way. It's, it's an interesting, uh, I, I was really intrigued with the way you did it. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so after hairpin bridge, um, what are you working on next? What's, what's next from you? Uh, what, what, what are you writing on now?
1: I am currently, let's see, I just started my third draft this week, which makes it sound like I'm further along than I really am, because I usually get <laughs> like seven or eight drafts by the time it's done. Um, but I am writing a new thriller about a, a young woman who writes an online review of just a terrible, weird, creepy, uncomfortable uh, horror novel, and uh, the author actually turns out to be a psychopath and comes after her. So it's kind of like a home invasion story, but a little bit with a twist um, or maybe like a reverse misery. Um, oh. But I'm just I'm having so much fun with it.
0: I bet you are. You know, the, that's a that's kind of a, a guilty pleasure for writers is yes, is to, <laughs> to, to, to write about writers. And yes. I, I can't wait to see where you where you take that. Um, Taylor, you know, as someone who is writing full time now, um, what have you learned about yourself, uh, you know, through um this this adventure of of doing this full time and um y- are you discovering things about yourself that you never knew before
1: um yeah probably i'm trying to think of what i've what i've learned mostly i just you know it it's been really important to me that i you know that i justify doing this by not you know not like basically treating it like what it is uh you know a day job and thinking of you know disciplining myself with my time the same way that uh, you know i did when i had a day job so you know, eight to five, one hour lunch break somewhere in there. But, you know, otherwise just always be working on something that's work related. And uh, now that I'm doing that, now that the that big chunk of the day is writing, it has been kind of nice, because I feel like I can when it's not writing time, I feel like I can relax and relax a little bit more and let my mind drift away from writing in a way that I really couldn't when you know, I was working eight hours a day at the TV station and I was smushing my writing time in the mornings and, you know, evenings after that, I kind of felt like I was always on for something. But now I feel like I can, you know, I've, I've got clearer lines now. Like I've got the time of day when I'm I'm on and I'm working and then I've got the time of day where I can play PS4 and not feel guilty about it.
0: Have you, have you noticed, but this is something that... Um, uh, th- that other full-time writers have have uh, talked to me and, and said that they have to deal with is that um, that when you are basically working for yourself and and you are uh, this one-man uh, you know story manufacturing uh, business um, that there are things about the business of writing um, that come in and, and creep in and occupy most of your time and and you know the the writing becomes the business of writing. Um, how do you how do you make sure that all of the things that go with writing don't creep in and take over the actual writing?
1: I definitely see that. That's a really good point. Um, I think the way that I have been doing it so far that has been working is uh, I just make sure that first thing in the morning, like the the bulk of my time and my best time, because I always feel like I'm at my smartest and most alert in the mornings with a bunch of coffee. I feel like that time always has to go to writing. And then, you know, by around two, three in the afternoon, you know, I'm still on, but I've done all the writing that I can do and my brain is a little bit fried. So then that's that's when I switch over to the more kind of, you know, businessy side of, of writing. So, you know, answering whatever emails I have to do, doing some social media stuff, you know, working on on blog entries that I'm writing like that kind of thing. Um, but saving that, saving that for the latter part of the day when I've, I've already done, you know, my main, the main part of my job, which is, of course, writing.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, th- the, um, the new book well and, and the, uh, the other book too, um, are, are in audio book. Um, how do you feel about having your stories translated to audio?
1: I am, I'm really excited because I've heard the samples and I, like, they've done an amazing job. I'm also, maybe I'm just weird, but i I can't actually listen to too much of it though, because all I'm gonna do is just hear things about the writing that I don't like, that I you know wish I could <laughs> fix but can't. And it's it's kind of why also like you know once the books are in print, I don't really open them very much. I look I look at them from the outside, but I don't open them because I'm just terrified I'm gonna find something that I that I hate or that I forgot to fix or you know or what have you. <laughs>
0: I love it. Um, Hairpin Bridge is available everywhere now. Go grab it today, uh, either at your local bookstore. You know everything is opening back up around the world, and go support your local bookstore. Or if if you prefer, shop at Amazon. We we'll put a link to it in the show notes of this episode, it's the audiobook as well. Taylor, love everything that you're doing. Um, so happy to hear that that things are going well for you. We're gonna send everyone to pick up a copy of Hairpin Bridge. Um, where else can they find you online if they want to connect with you and dig into all the great stuff that you're doing
1: yeah so my website is tayloradamsauthor.com uh, my facebook is also it's backslash taylor adams author backslash and uh, my instagram is at author. so there's a little bit of a little bit of a trend there a little bit of a pattern
0: Great. We'll put links to all those in the show notes as well. Taylor, always fun to catch up. Uh, Love the new book. We're going to send everyone to pick up a copy. Thank you so much for coming back on the show.
1: Thank you so much. This was so fun.
0: Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no further than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started.